Our reading this evening is from Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 to 4, verse 1. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and turning forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, they glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. I'm going to quickly pray for Scott just before he comes to preach. Lord, we thank you so much for your words. We thank you for this passage in Philippians, and we just pray you would speak to, uh, through us, sorry, to us through your words um, by Scott, and we pray that's we would be attentive and um, be able to um, understand this passage well. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much, Josh, for reading and for praying. Good evening, everyone. Uh, hello to you all. Uh, let me uh, introduce myself. My name is Scott. I'm on the staff team here at Chalmers. If I haven't yet met you, then please do come up to me afterwards and say hello. Please also keep Philippians chapter 3 and the start of chapter 4 open in front of you. Uh, that'd be really, really helpful for us as we look at it together uh, this evening. I have to start the sermon with an apology. I'm actually just back from speaking at a youth weekend away run by a church in Glasgow, where I think we managed to tick absolutely every single youth weekend away requirement. So over the past 48 hours, I think I've had about five hours sleep. The entire building smelled of Lynx Africa all weekend. All rules about indoor and outdoor shoes were completely ignored. Young people were putting salt in the drinks of their friends when they weren't looking. Young people were putting salt in the drinks of their friends when they were looking. We had the most wonderful imbalanced games of indoor football with seven players on one team, four on the other. Nobody kept count of what the score was. We toasted marshmallows. We sang songs around a campfire. You name it, we had it. But at one point yesterday evening, I was speaking to one of the leaders at the weekend away. This is somebody who goes to the church who had organized it. And this leader is a parent of a secondary school child. And we were chatting about the challenges facing this young Christian at school. And the leader was saying that one of the biggest problems facing school-age Christians 
is the tendency just to drift along with the current of the world around about them. Some of these young people on the weekend away were definitely clear Christians. But this leader was telling me that there is a real temptation and a real expectation to walk in the same direction in which their friends walk. Practicing, indulging, and applauding the same things that their friends do. And it was an interesting conversation, not least because it made me realize that the church in Philippi faces the same temptation and expectation that these young people in question faced at school. It made me realize that Christians of all ages, all circumstances, will in different ways and at different times battle the temptation to slowly, increasingly sound and look and live like the world around about us. And we will fight that battle until our dying day as believers. And so in response to these temptations that the church faced to glide slowly away from the gospel, the Apostle Paul's instruction through the letter to the Philippian church is to stand firm. Stand firm in face of that pressure and the suffering that comes with it. We saw a few weeks ago at the start of our studies in Philippians that Paul says to the church to live and behave as citizens worthy of the gospel of Jesus. If these Christians in Philippi were to open up their spiritual passports, their citizenship would say heaven. And that is a much, much deeper reality, an eternal reality for these Philippian Christians to think about and to consider. But there is also a costly reality. And Paul makes it very, very clear that this church is not only to believe in Jesus, but to suffer for him, going through the same struggle that Paul endured. This church is facing real opposition. We read of the church being engaged in the same conflict that Paul is engaged in. And Paul identifies the group that are trying to spin the church away from the good news of the gospel. Those who are trying to add religious rituals, trying to add religious habits and actions onto the gospel of Jesus as necessary for true salvation or for true growth as a Christian. Paul calls them dogs and says that trusting in ourselves, trusting in what we think we could do for salvation, that is rubbish. All of it is utterly worthless compared to knowing Jesus as our Savior and as our Lord. That is what gospel growth, that is what gospel progress looks like, knowing Jesus. And then last week with Jay, we heard Paul speak as the older, wiser coach of the church, encouraging them to press on. See, Paul is deeply concerned with knowing Christ. He is desperately looking forward to being with Jesus forever, but he is determined to stay for the sake of the spiritual growth of this church family to whom he writes. 
And so he tells the church, as he would tell those young people that I was with this weekend, as he would tell us in Edinburgh, as we've read out already, to press on. Press on towards the prize that awaits the Christian. Press on as citizens of heaven, holding true to Christ, holding true to his word, even in the face of opposition. And so there are three things for us to consider this evening as we look at our verses. You'll see those three things on your handout on the reverse of your order of service. That might be helpful to take a look at as we go through these different uh, themes and ideas. The first thing that Paul does as he begins this section of Philippians is that he commands the church to imitate him and to imitate others by walking as Christians, pressing on as he does. So verse 17, read that with me. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. You may have read this week that Emily Raducanu, after her brilliant run to win the US Open, has stopped working with her coach. They've gone their separate ways. I can't help but feel slightly sorry for the chap, but Raducanu said in an interview that she really needed someone who has that WTA tour experience at the highest level. She went on to say in a BBC interview, I think I really need someone just to guide me who has already been through all of that themselves. And that is exactly the role that Paul is fulfilling for this church. He is part of a small team of those who are walking correctly, pressing on, holding firm to what they know to be true as citizens of heaven, and then turning and encouraging the younger church family to do exactly the same. Paul has the experience at the highest level, if I can borrow Emily Raducanu's words. He has the experience at the highest level that the church needs. And he is here to guide the church through that which Paul has already been through and is going through. He lives as an example to them alongside other individuals. Reading through the letter, we've heard Paul mention Timothy serving alongside Paul in the work of the gospel. We've also heard Paul mention Epaphroditus, his co-worker, his fellow soldier, who the church in Philippi had sent to Paul to take care of Paul's needs when he was in prison. He'll go on and mention a chapter in Clement in verse 3 of chapter 4, and it's very, very likely that these individuals would have been in Paul's mind when he commands the church to keep their eyes on those who walk according to the example that these individuals are setting for the church to follow. See, Paul himself knows. He knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to walk, to press on, to hold true to what they have attained in Christ, even when the rest of the world, as we'll soon see, is walking the other way. He is not asking the church to do anything he himself is not doing. Now imagine how this would have landed on Philippian ears 2,000 years ago. Imitate Paul and others, knowing fine well that it could end you up in prison like he was. 
Hold firm to the gospel. Press on to win the prize of Jesus. Know him. Imitate Paul, even though it will cost. It will cost their reputation. It may even cost their freedoms. Now, I'm sure all of us can think of moments when, along the way, as a church family here at Chalmers, or as individual Christians, the example of an older, more experienced Christian still walking with Jesus, even after everything that they have faced, even after all of the pressures and hardships that they have endured, that has helped us to stay steady as we walk according to their example. It's certainly true that our ultimate example is Jesus. Paul is under no illusions. He will make that very, very clear in other letters that he writes. But the church is to have her eyes fixed on the example that Paul sets for us. Not only interested in his own spiritual growth and endurance, but the spiritual growth and endurance of the church family. Paul will command the church, and he would command Chalmers, to look at those that are further on in the race, to look at those who are pressing on, and to see them as an example for us to follow. It is also a call, amongst other things, for us to set an example to those around about us, those who are perhaps slightly younger in the faith, as they watch on, as they look on at those who are slightly further ahead, it should be a very, very normal thing for us around Chalmers to point one another to Paul and say, imitate him, and to point one another towards those that are further on in the race that we are and say, follow him, follow her. It means that when trials come, we have somebody to talk to, to turn to. It means that when trials come, we are not left in any doubt as to what to do. We have Paul, we have other mature believers to ask to imitate for the sake of our own spiritual growth. That is the first thing for us to see. The second thing for us to understand this evening is that we are to imitate Paul and others as Jesus' enemies walk against the cross. We are to imitate Paul and others by pressing on as Jesus' enemies walk against the cross. In our verses this evening, as they were read out, there's more than a mere indication that Paul knows these individuals to whom he describes, that he describes. He says in verse 18, read with me, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Many of them whom Paul has often told the church tells them now with tears it could well be the case that Paul knows them personally. I'm sure many of us in this building this evening will know what that is like. But either way, you can see that Paul takes absolutely no pleasure in seeing these people walk as enemies of the cross. Nor does he mince his words as he describes them and describes the direction in which they are walking. So verse 19 their end is destruction, their God is their belly, they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. And in all probability, this would have in many ways looked like a very, very attractive lifestyle. Living this way would certainly have earned you the favor of the city of Philippi. It's what everybody else 
was doing. And so living that way would have been lucrative, advantageous in many, many ways. But Paul loves the church family too much as their spiritual example to let them think that walking as an enemy of the cross is ever, ever a good idea. See, Paul exposes their way of living as being utterly vacuous, utterly ruinous. If the cross says that we will be with Jesus forever, the enemies of the cross are on their way to meet eternal destruction and judgment. If the cross says that God is a generous giver, the enemies of the cross worship their bellies, ignoring God's offer of friendship and his generosity, indulging whatever desire they have, whenever they want, however they want. The cross says that we glory in God, in everything that he is, everything that he has done for us, whereas the enemies of the cross glory in their shame, in the ways that they reject the gospel and splash around in their sinful behavior. The cross says to have the same united mind which is ours in Christ Jesus, humbly considering the interests of others before our own interests. Whereas the enemies of God have their minds set on earthly things, their own bellies, indulging whatever they want, whenever they want. That's Paul's assessment of those who walk as the enemies of the cross. And they do so in their thousands in Philippi, with their minds set on earthly things, glorying in their shame, worshipping their belly, ultimately heading on a collision course with God's destruction. It is an incredibly sobering assessment of what it means to walk contrary to the cross of Christ. It's one that leaves Paul in tears, rightly so. And so as we consider those who we know in Edinburgh, our own lives, who walk as enemies of the cross, we should view these people tearfully. That's Paul's heart for them. He is honest, but he hurts. It should be our heart for them too. We should be honest, but we should hurt. There's absolutely no hint of any moral superiority in these verses, as I've said. Let's remember that this walk was the walk that Paul once walked. This walk was the walk that any single one of us in this room once walked to. Their God and their end were once our God and our end too. And the right response to Paul is to listen to his gospel perspective on their lives, to listen to his gospel perspective on their end, and to be completely put off walking alongside them, following them down the path that they walk. Now imagine with me how much easier it would make the lives of the church in Philippi, how easier it would make the life of Paul in prison, if they were just willing to loosen a few of the screws on the gospel, just to dilute the gospel of Jesus even a little bit, just to be able to walk, even for a short period of time, alongside these enemies of the cross. It can look very, very inviting. It can earn us the favor of the world around about us. But let's understand Paul very clearly here. The path along which they walk leads to destruction. 
it would be wrong of us to look at them with anything else other than tearful compassion and to offer them everything that we're about to study as we finish. But we simply cannot walk the path that they walk. And so as a church family, let's never ever think that to walk against the cross can ever bring us anything good, can ever bring us any spiritual health or growth. Instead, we walk not as those in the world as enemies of Christ, but we walk in Paul's example, pressing on in the gospel. We're not being held back from something good and enjoyable that actually we would enjoy. By imitating Paul's example, by pressing on in the gospel, we are waiting for something that has been promised us, which is much, much better. And that's the third thing we will look at this evening. So let's turn to our remaining verses and to our third point on the sheet. The church is to imitate Paul and others by walking and pressing on in Jesus as his enemies walk against the cross. And the church is to stand firm as heavenly citizens waiting for Jesus' return. So read verse 20 with me of chapter 3 of Philippians. Paul says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The church in Philippi might see the enemies of the cross of Christ living and walking in a very materialistic, indulgent way, but the church is to realize that ultimately, the church, well, they are not temporary citizens of this world, as much as they are instead eternal citizens of heaven. They are not to plunge into the way of the world, walking against the cross of Christ, but instead they are to wait. They are to wait as heavenly citizens for Jesus and the salvation that he offers when he returns. And when he does, verse 21, he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. See, Paul knows that the church needs to hear about the future return of Jesus to keep them going in the present as they face the temptations that they face. The indulgent self-worship of the world might try and take us away from the cross of Christ by suggesting that Christianity is stopping us from having as much fun as really we could have. That this God is he's killing our joy. He is making us miserable, our lives miserable with his rules. But Paul reminds the church in Philippi, and he would remind us this evening, that that is simply not true. This church family in Philippi, they are citizens of heaven. So walking as an enemy of the cross of Christ is just simply not who they are anymore. Nor will they ever be again. They have been given new passports, eternal passports, and new citizenship in heaven. And they will be given a transformed body to be like Jesus' glorious body and will be given all of the glorious eternal riches as citizens of heaven on the day that Jesus comes and subjects everything to himself. That day is coming. The enemies of the cross will be destroyed. The rest of eternity with Christ will be yours, 
if you sit here this evening as a citizen of heaven. And so then Paul concludes this section with the same motif, the same plea that he's raised in chapters 1 and 3 and throughout Philippians. He says, chapter 4, verse 1, My brothers, whom I love and I long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus. Stand firm in the way that I have shown and told you so far in Philippians, imitating me, not walking in the way of the world, but walking as a citizen of heaven. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Paul says to the church, you stand firm because you are a citizen of the kingdom of the glorious, victorious king. Why on earth would you swap that citizenship for anything else? Why would you not live as a citizen of that glorious, victorious Jesus and his kingdom? See, the earthly mindset says, my God is my belly, and so I worship by indulging. Glory now, but it cannot offer you anything else. It will ultimately only end up in destruction. Heavenly citizenship says that our God will transform our lowly, suffering body that we feel so very acutely now to be like his glorious body when Jesus returns. And so we worship by waiting and walking with Paul. Glory is yet to come. And so those are the two paths for us to walk, for any one of us to walk. Our choice is clear, and my question is this. How likely are we in our hearts, in our lives, just to feel the tug of the world, to change our direction, and to walk as an enemy of the cross? Personally, I find it really, really tempting to want to meet the enemies of the cross halfway. Just to indulge from time to time that which the world around about us indulges. I think it is really, really tempting as Christians in Edinburgh to ignore verses 18 to 21 and just to dip our toes back into walking as an enemy of the cross like we used to do. We think it will be satisfying. We think it will give us respite from the pressures that we face as Christians. Please, Paul, just let me walk with the enemies of the cross for a while, for an evening as I'm out with my friends, for a weekend when I'm away with this particular group, just while I'm at university and I'm studying. Let me walk with the enemies of the cross while I'm in this particular group or that particular setting, just for a little while. And I think we want that or we feel that way because we have completely forgotten where that path leads. And we forget where these people who have ultimately indulged these choices end up. We forget that the path we often look at with envy ends in destruction. And we also forget everything that we have been so generously guaranteed and offered as citizens of heaven. Eternity with Jesus a transformed body to be like his, to be with him forever as citizens of heaven. Paul will not let us have dual citizenship, nor will Jesus. His love for us is too strong. 
And so as a church family in Edinburgh, in the face of the enemies of the cross, let's wholeheartedly copy Paul, the experienced coach that the church in Philippi and the church across the world needs. Let's be so thankful for who we now are, citizens of heaven. Let's have our eyes fixed on that day when Christ will return to bring everything into subjection under his feet, to transform our bodies to be like his. Let's look tearfully on at the enemies of the cross, earnestly desiring and praying that they should walk with us as our direction, in our direction as citizens of heaven into the new creation. But let's imitate Paul, others like him, who walk knowing Christ, standing firm and awaiting his return. Let me pray for us as we close. Father, we know in our hearts the ways in which we have not walked as citizens of heaven this day. We thank you, Father, that forgiveness is ours. We thank you, Father, that this is an invitation, it is an encouragement to continue to walk, to continue to press on imitating Paul as those who will be with Christ and be with you forever. Father, please, as those who don't yet know you walk as enemies of the cross, we pray and ask that you would help us to prayerfully reach out to them with the good news of Jesus, but to stand firm, not to follow them, not to walk as they walk, but instead to await patiently the return of Jesus and everything that is good and everything that is eternal that comes with his return. In his name we pray and ask. Amen.